Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Are the Raiders the worst team in the NFL at handling the virus? By far. It's, it's amazing that they haven't had someone contract the virus during the season. This is the Press Box. Here's my question about that whole thing, and, and, and thankfully for everybody involved, just for, for basic human decency and health, nobody's tested positive, quote-unquote, you know, dot, 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 yet from that. But I also wonder how many of the maskless people that were at this event. Ed Graney. You Every said day. it and Paul said it. I swear one of the biggest updates is as bad as the Raiders have been, there's no player positive. Right. I mean, that's, like, astonishing. It is kind of incredible. And Adam Candy. We're back at it. Raiders have an off day today out there resting up from the big training camp. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. It's Ed and Adam Candy. Jared running the show as usual. How are you, Adam? Awake. Yeah. Well, fired yeah. up. Let's do this. <laughs> usually in the morning, that's what we that, all say. Maybe I can convince you. I mean, usually in the morning, we stop at awake, and that's the end of the narrative, and uh, we go forward. So uh, good to hear from you. Good to... Uh, uh, know you're with us again. Uh, awesome job, obviously. Uh, Tyler, we don't know or care where he is. He was at the Astro at the Astro Dodger game last night. I was thinking when Mookie went yard in the first and then went yard again. I felt bad for Tyler. Not really, though. Did anyone feel bad for Tyler? I was. Does at- anyone ever really feel badly for Tyler? Like you know, the guy who brings it on himself the way Tyler Bischoff yes. does. Like, yeah. I yeah. was actively campaigning for people to go fight him. Yes, yes, that would have been actually uh, somewhat funny. Yeah, I mean. I obviously don't want him to get hurt, but I feel like he would fall yeah. down without getting touched. So there's between both of you, there's zero chance he wasn't like decked out in Astro garb, right? No, uh, we discussed that uh, on yesterday's show that there's no way he would go incognito. That no. he's going to show up with the sole yes. purpose of trying to upset people. Yes. But the thing is, he usually tries to upset people on the radio where mm-hmm. he's safe in the studio with his bodyguard, Jared. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's 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 different. It's different when you're staring down uh, six four three fifty wearing the Betts jersey, <laughs> and you've got your uh, you've got your Altuve jersey on. So we'll try to check in and and make sure at least on a text uh, to him today that he's alive. But first, Adam Candy. Oh, it happened yesterday. Mark Andre Fleury meets the Chicago media. I want to play this clip and get your reaction. Here's Mark Andre Fleury saying hello to Chicago. Um, just uh, my agent gave me a call. Uh, told me it was it was out on twitter that um that was traded and um yeah so that's uh that's how i found out i don't have twitter i don't have social media right so i'm not on there looking things up all the time and um i think he knows that too so that's why he gave me a call i haven't sat down with anybody yet having a beer you know anything like that so i you know over text over a few calls and um yeah i don't know i think we'll see you um we got a wedding this summer so it'd be nice to see everyone or a bunch of the guys and, and be able to talk, talk it out but um yeah it's it's part of the game right and it happens every season all the time and guys come in and come out and, and leave you know so um yeah, it's, it's never easy right because you see those guys every day and you become close you become very good friends and um and then you not see much right maybe once or twice a year um, so I think that's something that's the, the side of hockey that's uh, not as fun. Okay, so that's Mark Andre Fleury saying how he learned about the trade to Chicago and that he's going to catch up with his uh, you know old friends from Vegas and what he's going to do and have a talk. Then I 
Before you answer, I want to ask you this. There, there was a tweet yesterday I thought that was this came right after this in terms of, you know, I think what a lot happened is what we assumed happened. The agent, Alan Walsh, saw it, and he's the one who told him. So essentially, Marc-Andre Fleury didn't learn on Twitter. He learned from his agent. I thought this tweet was interesting. I want to get your response. One of the listeners, this has become the biggest overblown situation I've ever seen, which certain people on social media have been a big cause of it. Uh, one, what's your reaction to Marc-Andre Fleury, how he ultimately found out, and two, to the point of this is completely overblown and people just essentially don't realize that this is what happens in pro sports? Well, Marc-Andre Fleury's reaction, I think, was predictable, right? He handled it in much the same way that he did the sword situation. He kind of said, well, yep, that's uh, that's what I heard, and that's what my agent said, and so on, so on. I'm not really did. part of that. I'm, I'm not really in on it. So, yeah, I mean, I... I there's no reason not to believe him, right? There's no reason to say that Marc-Andre Fleury has some sort of agenda, like unless you were to say that he were that mad at the Golden Knights for trading him, that he wants to try to further this narrative that they screwed him over. But I don't think that's at all the case. I think Marc-Andre Fleury is being legitimately honest in saying, yeah, I'm not really on there, and uh, it, it leaked out, and my agent called me. So, you know, as to the idea of it being overblown, how is it overblown? How is it overblown that... This is the guy who has been the face of this franchise, who the owner of the franchise told him, I want you to finish here. I don't see where we're making more of this story than the agent did. If Alan Walsh is out there saying to everyone, wow, well, apparently there are reports out there, that this and this and this, and we haven't heard anything from the Golden Knights, then it's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> we're not creating the thing. It's a thing. The agent told us it's a thing. So is it overblown? Are we making too much of it? Well, tell you what, Ed, I don't know what you think, but it feels to me like after today, now that Marc-Andre Fleury has spoken on it, it, it kind of feels like it's going to be over after this. Yeah, I mean, I think it should be. I think both teams need to go in their own directions and get ready for a season, and Marc-Andre Fleury needs to integrate himself into that organization, and he's going to be the guy there, meet his new teammates. And teammates. We've got more quotes from him coming up. Uh, I just, the, I guess the narrative that, Everyone continues to say he was caught off guard, I think, is absolutely silly. If if we believe McCrimmon, and look, here's the thing about McCrimmon. McCrimmon never denied how ultimately he found out in officially at the very end, although I'm sure McCrimmon thought, oh, this is Alan Walsh, and he told him, which is what Fleury said. But the idea that Fleury was just totally taken off guard, totally shocked by this, is a bunch of nonsense because they, again, McCrimmon said, and I'm going to take McCrimmon's word for this, we kept him involved. And he's had specific days. I called him on this day. I called him on Saturday of the draft and said, there is a team interested. And by the way, Fleury didn't deny any of that yesterday. So I, I just, this narrative out there that, oh, you know, he was completely shocked. He was completely off guard. No, no. He knew it was probably coming. They told him at the exit interview, look, we love you. We have this cap situation. We're going to have to explore things. And then all the way along the line, they continued to say, hey, we had, a, we had someone interested. We didn't. And again, on Saturday night, according to McCrimmon, and I don't know why he would lie about this because Flurry never denied it, Chicago wanted to make the deal on Saturday night of the draft. He said, I can't do that. We can't do this li you know, in live time. I've got to you know, okay it with the owner. You know, We will discuss it on Monday or Tuesday. So that's the only thing that I have an issue with, that if people suggest – this guy knew none of this or it wasn't coming. That That's a bunch of bull. He knew there was a great chance this was coming. And I guess we could sit here and agree or disagree on ultimately how he found out. Uh, 
but but ulti- but but in the end, I'm I'm glad I'm glad you said that, and I agree with you. I think this needs to move on now. I think it's like, look, think what you want about the Golden Knights organization or Flurry, whatever. It has to move on now. He's spoken. They've spoken. It's pro sports. You got to move on. And I think there's a distinction to be made in there, though. I think there's a distinction to be made between Kelly McCrimmon kept him apprised and Marc-Andre Fleury was still a little bit caught off guard. I think there is room in there, maybe not to drive a Mack truck through, but there is a little bit of light that can get between those two because we went through this last offseason. Because last year we heard plenty about Marc-Andre Fleury potentially being traded, and he lived through an entire offseason coming into this year of feeling like, well, maybe it'll happen, but it didn't. And they pretty much told him the same thing this offseason. Hey, we might have to trade you. Uh, now the circumstances change when the contract is one year shorter and you're coming off a Vezina season as opposed to coming off one of your worst seasons. Uh, and maybe Marc-Andre Fleury really believed that he had protection from the guy at the top. He really might have thought that Bill Foley would never okay anything, that you just kind of humor whatever is coming from the front office. Okay, yeah, explore what you got to explore. Yep, do what you got to do. Okay. But Bill Foley gave him as close to a guarantee as the owner can give to any one player. So I agree when, when you say that there's no way you can say that I had no idea this was coming. No. I mean, obviously, there was some communication. But could you believe that maybe it was just talk, that maybe it was just something that they felt like they had to explore and that ultimately wouldn't happen? Maybe just because you lived through an entire offseason of this last year and, and it didn't happen. So, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury is going to go to Chicago. The Golden Knights are going to move on with Robin Leonard. By the time we have actual hockey to talk about this won't be a thing anymore and frankly as soon as the golden knights uh, start ramping up the trade buzz on jack eichel again ed yes. then, then we'll have that to talk yes. about yes need the medicals on jack eichel's neck uh before we ramp up the discussions on that i want to talk a few more things with you uh here's a quote from him flurry i never had anything against chicago the organization it was me personally what i wanted to do i've talked to a bunch of guys i hear many great things about the team how they treat their players and families well <laughs> Maybe they didn't clue him in on, on past transgressions uh, that we're hearing now about that organization, but all the same. Um, coming to Vegas, I didn't know if people were going to like hockey. I'll remember having success, winning games, going deep in playoffs, especially the first season, making it to the final. I was very fortunate to spend four years there. He went on to say, look, I've got, you know, I've got three kids. I have a wife. We had to check out what Chicago meant, even though he was in Pittsburgh a long time. So it's not like, you know, he hasn't been uh, through different parts of the country. I don't think either of us were surprised he went and played. He wasn't going to say this. I'll contend that I don't care who you are. It's $7 million. I don't care how much money you have. You don't leave $7 million on the table if you're still, you know, desirable of playing and you haven't, like, completely lost your ambition. Uh, so what did you make of him talking about Chicago? I think it wasn't I, – I agree that it wasn't Chicago. I, I think, you know, when you have a family of small children and, you know, you're moving back across the country, then you have to consider that at his age. I believe Marc-Andre Fleury when he says that this was a legitimate consideration of retirement. And I believe Alan Walsh, too, because $7 million, as you said, Ed, is a lot of money. But Marc-Andre Fleury has made a lot oh, of money. A lot. And he has won multiple Stanley Cups. And there's nothing left for Marc-Andre Fleury to prove. So I, th- I think he could very well decide to call his shot in terms of, I don't want to go to Chicago. But right. that being said... Um, what I make of the comments is very businesslike, very distant, very, uh, very transactional. And I think that's what we have to understand about what it's going to be now between Marc-Andre Fleury and the Vegas Golden Knights. Like, 
if the Golden Knights wanted to have the guy that they're going to build the statue of, they wanted to have the guy who would forever be the face of the franchise, then you don't do what they did. You don't trade him. And they did. They traded him to make, you know, Evgeny Dodonov fit under the cap. That's that's <laughs> the reality of this whole thing. Like, you can't make it sound like this is the guy who is part of the family when you treat him who like a guy who is a colleague. And that's how Marc Andre Fleury's comments read to me. Okay, those are my former colleagues. Those are not my uh, those are not my family members. Completely inappropriate, but random thought. When is the first time that someone's going to call him daddy in, during a uh, dad off? Like, who? Which, which media member calls him? Hey, daddy. Flurry? No. Did Don off? That was a hard switch there. Yeah. Hard switch there. Yeah. Yeah. I put nothing past VGK media. So. I, <laughs> yeah. I. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's probably better we don't say on air, but well, I, I have one I have one person yeah. very I clearly mean, in mind right now. I mean, saying it, I think I'd even pump the brakes there. Tweeting it, I'll give the over-under of like six seconds. Like, tweeting it, I could see um, a lot of people uh, do that. Actually saying it, and I, well, hopefully it's not Zooms next year, but who knows what the heck's going on there. Maybe they're actually, we're actually in front of players next year. But let's say it continues to be Zoom for a while. Uh it, when they say so and so from this outlet, if anyone starts off with "Hey, Daddy," uh, that that we've gotten now to the to the, the very dark side of a dark side we're already at, actually. Well, the question is, what does Pete DeBoer decide his nickname is, right? Well, there because has to the, be a why, right? That's what <laughs> Dotty, maybe hey, Dotty. Dotty, yeah, the Donna Navi, <laughs> Donny. And you know what the great thing about that, Adam, is you're right. We'll only know from DeBoer because we'll talk to him first, and obviously that guy's going to come up uh, in terms of them getting him. And we'll know right away because I don't even know. I can't remember the last time DeBoer said someone's name without the nickname. Like, I don't think he's – I mean, Panda, Flower, Stoner, Stony, you know, Tucky, you know, uh, you know, I, I just – Carly. I just don't remember. So I assume we'll know right away from Pete DeBoer. And I think we have to stick with it. And I think if Pete DeBoer ultimately gives us carte blanche to say, hey, daddy, <laughs> or I, puppy, or I love it when you call me big papa, like, I think that we need to be able to go with whatever oh. Pete DeBoer gives us. Can't wait. Uh. Can't wait. Uh, it'll be great in terms of the first Pete DeBoer press conference. All right. When we come back, the Raiders in the afternoon yesterday, kind of a big signing. We'll talk about it after this. Trust me, I've been begging to put him out there so I can catch a touchdown. <laughs> you know, I, I'm like, hey, Marcus, you know, me and Marcus, every time every time he goes out there and I go to receiver, I'll tell Marcus, like, bro, throw just one time, throw it to me. See what, don't worry about Gru. I'll talk to him. <laughs> but no, no, I, I love it, man. And I love Marcus. Like, he's awesome. He's, he's like I said, I, I told him the other day, I said, I think he runs a 4-3 now. Like, I think he's faster than what he was, you know, coming after he broke his ankle. You're locked in the press box. No, I mean, it's not running 4-3. <laughs> He is fast and big. I've given that report uh, in the past. Ed Graney, Adam Candy, Jared running the show back on the press box. Uh, that was Derek Carr coming back, met the media. Uh, his biweekly uh, is actually his weekly meeting with the media. Each week he meets with the one media one time, and he talked about Marcus Mariota. Someone asked him, what do you think about Marcus? Uh, Marcus Mariota has had a great camp uh, other than the last three days where he went Kwiatkowski interception, Kwiatkowski interception. Yesterday, Damon Arnett jumped a uh, route and intercepted him, so... Marcus has thrown some picks, but Adam, this news came 
late in the day, which got a lot of headlines, and deservedly so. The Raiders uh, signed six-time Pro Bowler Gerald McCoy uh, to go inside of the defensive line and see what he has left. Um, 33, spent nine seasons in Tampa Bay, as we know, um, was among the uh, elite's interior defensive linemen. Now, last year, uh, season-ending ruptured quad with the Cowboys. So at that age, that's a tough one. What did you think when you first saw Gerald McCoy coming aboard? First thought I had, Ed, was the age, right? The guy's 33 years old, mm -hmm. coming off a serious injury. But then I looked back on the numbers, and age hasn't really slowed down his production. I mean, he's not the guy he was when uh, when he was in his heyday with Tampa Bay, coming off being the number three pick in the draft when he posted multiple 90-plus PFF grades on pass rush. But he's still a guy who probably has something left to give, maybe not in a full-time starter's role for this team, but I think Gerald McCoy has a chance to make an impact for the Raiders. I mean, he's had, if you go back over the last uh, one, two, three, four, six seasons that he played, he's had at least six sacks uh, in all of those. He's had at least 30-plus pressures in all of those. And uh, we know, Ed, that this team can use pass rush from just about anywhere it can get. So my, my question to you is, uh, he's an interior lineman. So is it Jefferson or Hankins who's losing snaps here? That's a great question. You know, we haven't, we've heard a lot. I can just go by what they say two days in pads. You look at them in drills. And I'll tell you, Ngakwe stands out so much in drills as the rush end. You don't really see other people. Ngakwe looks incredible right now. I think it might be Jefferson. Hankins, even Carr mentioned Hankins yesterday. I always kind of go with who they bring up in these press conferences to who they believe is playing. And Gruden and Carr this week both brought up Hankins and how well he's playing. So if you ask me right now, I think it'd be Jefferson to start. I agree with you. Look, he's 33. That's right. He had the rupture tenant. This, to me, is, you know, easy signing here. If he's great or if he has any kind of semblance of what he's been, great for them. If not... You know, you move on quickly. I mean, it's that's you have to take a chance on this guy given his pedigree and what he's done. So I thought it was actually a really good signing. Like you said, let's be honest, uh, this is not a team that can turn down any defensive lineman if they've done anything in this league. And this guy's been to six Pro Bowls. So you take uh, your look and you put him in there and get him back to start practice tomorrow when they come back on the field. And there you go. You see, you know, and maybe and that's the other thing about someone like Quentin Jefferson. Maybe it pushes him. Maybe he just kind of assumed you're walking in, you're getting a spot. Now you look up and here's Jerry McCoy. Maybe he's like, oh, maybe that's not the case. No, absolutely not. And what's going to get really interesting here, Ed, is the rotation, right? I think we're going to have some real questions about how all these pieces fit. So we know we've got Ngakwe on one end. We know we've got Crosby, for the most part, on the other end. Okay, now where does Cleveland Furl go? We've heard Cleveland Furl might come inside some. Okay, well, if he's going to come inside... Is it McCoy? Is it Hankins? Is it Jefferson? Where's Where does that spot uh, open up? Solomon Thomas is going to be in that rotation yeah. too. So Carl Nassib is going to be somewhere uh, in that rotation more than likely. So, you know, the question for me, the biggest question for me is that you spent one of your Khalil Mack Hall draft picks on Cleveland Furl as the number four overall pick. So if you're, you're bringing in another interior lineman as a pass rusher, after Gruden said, we feel like, Cleve Furl's best pass rush might be inside. So, Ed, what's your sense of where Furl is going to fit into this whole equation for the Raiders? I actually, I'm telling you, I think if they start, well, they play in a few weeks against Seattle, I'm not going to be surprised if the starting Russians are not Farrell and Ngakwe. Wow. Uh, I really, I, I'm not going to be surprised at that. Um, 
watching practice uh, with the ones and who's standing up with the ones. We'll see tomorrow about interior. Uh, Hankins has been in there. In right now it's been Jefferson and Hankins. Uh, Solomon Thomas has uh, been backing up both. Now you add Gerald McCoy to the to the uh, to the family there inside. I think Farrell and Ngakwe, that's going to be the first look. Now, again, it might be a quick look if Farrell can't uh, uh, apply the kind of pressure they believe he should, and, and, and Max Crosby in a third year might be able to. Uh, so, yeah, I think, look, any depth helps this line. And you and I both know that. They have not been good. They've been, wor they've been worse on the back end. There's no question about that. They haven't been really good anywhere defensively. But I think if you start, like, where they've been worse, well, that's definitely in the back end and the secondary. They haven't covered anyone. But that goes hand-in-hand hand with you better get more push up front. I do think they've upgraded themselves, obviously, with Ngakwe and now Jerry McCoy and others. But, I mean, I think you'd agree. They still have a lot to prove up front. They have a lot to prove, and Max Crosby has been very clear about that. Max yeah. Crosby has been the one who said, we have tons to prove, and Max Crosby is the only one who has numbers over the last couple of years that suggest that he has production to, to hang his hat on. Now, look, 17 sacks is a little bit disingenuous because we know that he had two big games in each of the last two years yes. that came against the worst team in the league that account for a total of seven of those 17 sacks. That being said, if we're talking about the guy who has led this team in sacks for the last two years not being a starter, mm -hmm. uh, that to me is notable. That That's news from uh, from this team. And I think the Crosby versus Furl situation about who you decide to go with at end says a lot about what you're willing to admit. And if you're Gruden and you're Mayock and you're willing to admit, you know what? This Furl pick hasn't worked out the way we thought it would. He hasn't been terrible but he hasn't been great, and Max Crosby has at least given us some production. If I have Yannick Ngakwe on one end, and he's going to potentially take attention that's going to create one-on-one -on -one opportunities on the other side, I guess the question ultimately becomes, do they want to create those opportunities for Max Crosby for, or for Clee Furl more often than the other? Right. I mean, I, again, I think, I think Crosby ultimately plays more snaps at, at end than Furl does, because I do think they're going to move Furl inside. Now, again, adding McCoy might decline those snaps inside, decrease those snaps inside. Jerry McCoy, to me, is obviously, the you know, he's the wild card here. I mean, again, if he's 75% of the best Jerry McCoy, that's an upgrade for the Raiders. Whether you got Quentin Jefferson, you have Hankins in there, Solomon Thomas, uh, and others, I still think that's an upgrade given what his pedigree is, even like you said, even at 33. So if he comes in and is really good, I don't know what that means for Cleveland Farrell moving inside, and then obviously maybe he's one-on-one -on -one with Max Crosby in terms of snaps and playing time. Uh, they're just better here. I, th I think we can go into the exhibition season saying defensively, if it's one area we pretty are, we're pretty confident they're better at, it's here. Uh, the linebackers all come back um, in terms of Littleton, Kwiatkowski, uh, Morrow, uh, you know, guys like that, they come back. The secondary is always going to be the biggest question mark right now, you know, especially with Tr Trayvon Warren as a, as, as a rookie in the free safety. We don't know how Abram's going to play. Casey Hayward's actually had a really good camp. I think if they start tomorrow, I would start Casey Hayward over our net um, and Trayvon Mullen. So that's going to, to me, going to be the huge question mark. But And we'll talk to Willie Ramirez coming up. I do think I like, and I think we both like the Jerome McCore signing because there's no downside to it. If he's not any good, then you just move on. Well, when it comes to this Raiders defense, I'm just happy that we're talking about that they might have too many options at yes. a certain position <laughs> as opposed to saying, yes. oh, no, how are they going to be yes. able to find someone to fill this position? Do they have a linebacker yet? I Well, they, they, they have linebackers listed on the two deep. Uh, they have linebackers listed on the two deep. So, And you know what? That's a great point. Like, you know, Corey Littleton has to step up. 
He used to be better than he was. I mean, Kwiatkowski's really good when, you know, Marcus Mariota's throwing him balls. He looks pretty good. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of, I'll tell you another one, uh, Adam, that people have been talking about all campus, Tanner Muse. I mean, we didn't see much of him at all last year, obviously, with the injury, but uh, he's kind of been in their base package there uh, when he, you know, he spells Morrow there. And, you know, maybe Tanner Muse steps up. But you're Man. right, the linebackers, they have a lot to prove. Well, you're right. I mean, maybe Tanner Muse plays in base. I have some questions about how much they're actually going to be in base right. uh, <laughs> against the teams right. that they have to play against. Like, I think that might be a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of fool's gold there for for Tanner Muse because I, I can't imagine that this team is only playing four defensive backs against uh, the quarterbacks that they're going to have to face over the course of Drew the season. Locke. That you know, that being said, um, I feel like the, uh, you know, yeah, the situation for. The Raiders is at least more promising here in this preseason than uh, than it has been. We'll keep on this realm with the Raiders when we come back. He's out there every day covering it for the Associated Press. Willie Ramirez. Whether you agree or disagree with someone, like like we talk about all the time, like in the in this country, if you disagree with someone, you automatically hate them. And I'm like, it couldn't be farther from the truth, you know. Like, I know a lot of people that disagree with me, or I disagree with them, and they're some of my best friends. You know what I mean? That's Derek Carr coming back. The Raiders quarterback uh, asked yesterday uh, how it has gone with Carl Nassib uh, with the Raiders. Uh, Carl Nassib came out as gay, and I think the questions when that happened is, hey, what's going to happen in locker rooms? How will that be accepted? Derek Carr was asked that yesterday. There is part of his response to the question uh, asked by Paul Gutierrez of ESPN. Please be joined now. You'll see him at Raiders Camp every day. Follow him on Twitter at Willie G. Ramirez. It's Willie Ramirez from the Associated Press. You can also hear him on Cofield and Company. What's up, Pops? Uh, hang on one second. I'm just completing this order here. I got my Rangers Ryan Reeves jersey and Blackhawks hat. Okay, just wanted to complete my darn purchase. Right. Yeah, darn right, darn right. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you'll find out about how much those cost on Twitter. That's where everyone finds everything out. Uh, Let's go to that right now. You heard the clip coming back. Uh, look, they're going to be asked about it. I believe later in the week we might actually get Carl Nassib uh, in his first media appearance of camp, uh, which I'm sure he'll have no problem talking about uh, him coming out and, and what it's been like since then, either inside or outside of locker rooms. But Derek Carr is the team leader. You knew he'd probably be one of the first ones asked about this in terms of players because uh, he is the leader and face of that team. What did you think of Derek Carr's response? Uh, you know, I thought I thought as the leader of the team, it, it was exactly how you know you would expect it to sound. I, you know, he, the one thing I found interesting that he reiterated was that he kept saying uh, that Carl may have a different take. Carl may say something different. From my perspective, he said that first day that they walked in the locker room, he said I like to sit back and observe and watch other people. So he sat back to see what other people how they were reacting, and he said he hasn't seen. Anybody act any differently than in years past in terms of how they treating, uh, you know, treat their teammates and 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 that it's it's business as usual. Um, the one thing that stood out that stood out for me before they put the pads on and as you know, had to, you know, when they're when they're going through their drills early in practice, the O line and D line are closest to us where we're allowed to stand. And that last week, man, the D line just. Really firing off the off the count and and, and, and striking hard and you know it, it could be normal. I could just be reading into this a little bit more, but calling each other out by name and encouraging one another when they're doing drills where they they're repetitive and hitting the hitting the the uh, you know the big tackling dummy or whatever it is or the the one where the where it looks like there's arms stand they're swiping the arm past the blocker and mm -hmm. they're you know and whoever it may have been 
you know, whether it was Solomon Thomas or Carl Nassib or Max Crosby or Cleveland, I mean, they're calling each other. They're doing it by first name. They're enthusiastic, and everybody's really together. So I haven't noticed anything. Derek gave us his perspective from inside the locker room, and I thought the answer was as politically correct as, as you're going to get from a leader on the team. You know, um, I, I didn't expect anything less. Um, and like you said, hopefully we'll be getting him. You know, word is we, we possibly could get him by the end of the week. And if we do, I guess, you know, we'll, we'll hear his perspective. Willie, now we add another defensive lineman into the mix with Gerald McCoy coming in. A lot of good history on the side of Gerald McCoy coming back from a fairly catastrophic injury last year, though. Uh, what's your sense of how he'll fit into that mix? Yeah, I heard you guys talking about coming in, and one thing that I brought up with uh, Vinny Bontignor on, on his show was that I, I, I get the sense, if, have you noticed this, you guys, that you know each unit, you know, Vinny had a great story and a, a great take in the 2019 class and how big that class is and where it's sort of, sort of taking over this team. But it, with every unit, there's a veteran. There's somebody there, almost like a leader, to oversee that unit and somewhat – take charge and in, in to do their part. And I think maybe, you know, aside from what he can bring, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's been to six Pro Bowls. He's got some experience. Um, you just – you have that leadership from, from every perspective, from every unit on this team. And the other thing is, is that with depth – I, I want to say it was Gus Bradley that brought this up. I, I don't remember if it was Greg Olson, but in that you're going to see a lot of rotation, almost like – we see with the Golden Knights and hockey lines in that they're going to not, you know, it doesn't matter who's starting and who's number one on the depth chart, that the rotation of players are going to keep the legs fresh and keep these guys healthy, which is something they also want to do, um, and somewhat maintaining the integrity of what they're trying to do on each side of the ball in the trenches. So I'm wondering if just the, addi the addition is to, is to help that depth and to help the rotation of players that they're going to be bringing in throughout the game. Willie, you're out there every day. You just talked about the defensive line. Uh, we also talked earlier about the secondary, huge question marks there. And then you go to the linebackers. Littleton has to play better. He came in with, like, you know, a huge resume last year and underachieved. From what you've seen, I know I know it's only been a few days in pads, and, and they're not going to really hit each other anyway until they get up to the Rams in that scrimmage in games. Do you feel a, you know, a hint of confidence that they're better defensively, or do you also have some skepticism, like, well, we'll believe it when they actually see it and stop somebody? Well, I've been saying this since day one is that, that, that I've been impressed with, since OTAs when I say day one, is that I feel as if um, the difference starts at the top, and I think that Gus Bradley is definitely making the difference, and I think that that difference is, is, is because, you, if you remember last year with Gruden, all we heard was uh, at the very beginning, the very first thing, and I think that sets the tone in the mindset of the guys, is Malik Collins is the key to this unit. And if that's true, and he is the key, if he was the key to the unit, they weren't lying because he didn't do much, and that key not doing much meant a terrible stop unit. So that being said, um, if, if, if there's no key this year and the entire unit is thought of as one, and Bradley's brought that brotherhood, as Damon Arnett said, he's, he's brought a sense of brotherhood and a, the uh, all for one, there's no superstar. I don't care how big the name is on this unit. Who's supposed to be the star from the defensive line to the linebacking crew to the secondary, and they're all in it together. I think that that's, that right there is a start because they're coming into camp knowing that 
hey, we got to do this together. We're not, we're not pinpointing one specific player. I do think there's improvement because of the strength and conditioning. But, you know, between Gruden, Greg Olson, and Bradley, they've all credited uh, the strength and conditioning. Hello, Deuce Gruden. As far as the offseason training and what, they're, what they've done to get these guys in shape and get them prepared for the season. And I think that's a big step in the right direction as well. So, yeah, I think that – I mean, we're not going to know anything until – I mean, I don't even know if we're going to see anything in the preseason opener. But I do think that we should expect to see some improvement. And I think it starts with what Bradley has done and some of the guys they brought in. And, again, these guys sort of coming into their own, this, that, that 2019 class, some of the guys that were drafted last year that are out to prove something that they – you know, that they belong and that, and that they also, you know, they want to make up for a disappointing season. And, you know, let's not forget this team was six and three and we're all sitting there singing the praises and saying, wow, we could be covering a playoff game. Could we even be covering one in Allegiant? And then they closed the season two and five and three late game collapses. You know, I mean, I think that, I think one game they were leading with a little bit more than a minute, the Miami game, 50 some seconds, and then one in overtime. So, I mean, they were right there defensive collapses is what did it. So I think they all have something to prove. And I think there's nothing but improvement to see from that unit. Well, I know that you guys don't get to see all of practice or everything that goes on out there, but who in particular has caught your eye this camp? Well, obviously, I mean, I'm, I'm about to write a story for the AP on the receiving core and, and, and the, 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 the diversity among that unit. And, and when I say that, I'm talking like, you know, sizes and shapes. I mean, Brian Edwards is a is a big guy that can go up and get the ball. He can, he can do a lot. He can you know he can he can obviously shed a a, um, a defender. You got the speed guys. You got Hunter Renfro who's just fearless and can do any. You know, he'll go over the middle. You know, I sort of liken him to what Brady had in New England with Welker or Edelman. I mean, he's he, he just he's somewhat of that you know tough as nails type of receiver. So I've been impressed as a whole with the wide receiving crew, and I think the secondary's benefited from that, and I think that we're going to see improvement from the secondary. I think they're all out there just battling, knowing that when Gruden says, you know, there's no guarantee with the safeties and, and the cornerbacks that they're all battling as well. So, but, but for the most part, I would have to say the receiving crew, I would have to say Edwards and Ruggs has been impressive, but we're all seeing that because we're all seeing it. Um, Carr obviously is coming in in great shape, and I think that he's he's done well. Mariota over the last couple of days has thrown some picks, but I mean for the most part, I, I think the receiving crew has has been impressive. There's not been one guy. If you if you want to pick it out, I think Edwards is poised to have a big season, but you know he he, he dealt with some injuries last year, so it, it's hard to gate. It's hard to say he's going to be better than last year because he he's really I mean. If he stays healthy, it's obvious he's going to be better than he was last year. I think as a, as a whole, that receiving crew is going to be tremendous. And I will say this. I wrote a story on Josh Jacobs. I think that Josh Jacobs, it's only his third season, so, yeah, I get it. But um, to say he's going to have a career season, when I say career season, I think he's going to have one of the best seasons in the NFL. If he stays healthy, Josh Jacobs could finish in the top three in, in yards and uh, touchdowns, uh, rushing touchdowns. To that end, uh, top 10 offense last year, I think eighth in yards. Uh, Derek Carr yes. statistically by far his best season, but you know as well as anyone being out there, that is a rebuild offensive line. 
uh, with yeah. Incognito as the leader. A new center, Leatherwood, right tackle. He's going to have to prove he can uh, he, he can hold up. So how close are they, Willie, to being even better offensively? Because Carr looks terrific to taking a major step back if those dudes up front don't do their jobs. And that's something. And here's the thing: is and we asked him that yesterday. I think I might even ask him about that offensive line. Is that you know how that's coming together and the chemistry with, you know, just the new guys and then having a there's another unit right there, right with with a sort of a retooled line, and then your veteran is incognito. So I don't think that we actually get a great glimpse of of that, uh, you know, even in the third preseason game or this year. I don't I don't know. Is you know. They only got three preseason games. Normally, we see everything in that third preseason game. Do we see it in the second preseason game, or do they just kind of? So I don't know if we don't see it until September 13th, and that's when we get a chance to know because right now they're going against a defensive line, you know, that's that's trying to prove something and sort of trying to improve. So all we're seeing is them going against one another. Or obviously, we've only been there for two days with pads, so it's hard to gauge. Um, again, I just go off of what I've seen in terms of agility and athleticism and you know what's impressed greg olson he's 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 felt that they've really been firing off the ball that they've come in in better shape you know or in great shape um i would know ed you've been you know you've been up and back and forth from from uh, the bay area when they were still in oakland you you were down in san diego you may you know seen chargers you've seen other nfl teams you guys have watched i've, I've never covered a camp last year was kind of odd so I don't know what to expect that first week. I've used this, the word maybe clumsily. You know, you come in, you're sort of flat-footed maybe. You, it takes a couple of weeks to get your footing. I haven't seen that. I've seen nothing but agility and and, and those quick trigger mis- muscles really firing um, off the snap. And I've just that's what I've been impressed with most is the athleticism and the conditioning of this team. You know, and, you know, they have a facility that they've been able to go in during the off season, which they didn't have last year. And I think they benefited from that. So it just remains to be seen with the regular season when it comes to the offensive line, everything else, you know, we're seeing the timing and the schematics and, and somewhat the, the chemistry and the timing of Derek Carr's passes and, and the secondary's movements on the ball, you know, um, but the trenches are the big question. And I don't think that we really get a good gauge until the regular season starts. Follow him on Twitter at Willie G Ramirez. It's Willie Ramirez from the Associated Press. Also, you can hear him on Cofield and company. Thanks pops. We appreciate it. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Hey, I'm gonna. I gotta uh, look into starting a scrum tomorrow for candy. So I'll there you talk go, to you kid. Later. Yeah, you got no neck. We'll see you later. Willie Ramirez from the Associated Press. When we come back, Team USA, go Americans. Can you share with us the loneliness of being expected to win and hearing that you're the goat all the time, but still having to go out and prove it time after time after time? How hard is that? I feel like it's hard, um, but it's harder being a female athlete because, you know, everybody prays for your downfall and wants you to mess up and all of that stuff. And I don't think they take in consideration of our mental health because what we do isn't easy or else everybody could do it. But also at the end of the day, we're not just athletes or entertainment. We're human too. And we have emotions and feelings and things that we're working through behind the scenes that we don't tell you guys about. And so I just think it's something that people should be more aware of. Simone Biles coming back from the Olympics, uh, took bronze in her final uh, event there after uh, taking some time off between um, the team exercise and the individuals. But she got bronze, and that was Simone Biles talking about uh, what she had gone through. Adam Candy, we've got an Olympic uh, event last night. I'm interested in hearing what you have to say. The Americans 
Greg Popovich, Team USA, overcomes a 15-point deficit, 97-78 win over Australia. And here comes France and Rudy Gobert, who knocked the, the Americans down after the first game in the Olympics and uh, laid claim to perhaps they're the team that's going to win gold. So take us through last night. They're down 15. They can't make a shot from uh, me to Jared right now. At that point, are you like, uh, this is not good to take me from the gambling side of things because I thought they were eight and a half in the second half, down three at halftime. What did you see last night? I mean, I ultimately saw a team that turned it on when it had to, right? Uh, if you can go on the kind of run they did over the second and third quarters, then I don't really care what you did in the first quarter because they showed with Kevin Durant again leading the way that they have the ability, they have the talent that when they want to turn it on, they can, and it's enough. And there's a difference between trying to coast and then turning it on, and yet you're playing the type of opponent who won't let you do that versus what they're facing in Olympic competition. And now they'll see France, and France obviously proved that that's not a team they can do it against. And France sneaked, uh, snuck, yeah, snuck they, its way Luka. Oh, what through Slovenia. Oh. Luca passed it up on the, uh, on the last uh. shot. But yeah, I mean, look, uh, for this USA team, uh, from the gambling perspective, uh, the bookmakers never really in live betting bought that the USA was going to lose. Even when they were down 15, they were still minus 150 on the money line to, to win the game. So, you know, obviously a much shorter price than you would have gotten before the game. But um, in the end, I don't think there was any real concern that they were going to lose that game. You'll know much better than I. Is there a line out on the France game yet? I have not seen. Uh, I assume there probably is. Uh, I can check that for what you. What would they? I wonder what they'd lay. Well, they're going to be favorites. I yeah, they'll they be, fav- be favorites. I, off top of my head, I'm going to say five. But let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, you you talk you okay, talk you, smart stuff, and I'll okay. and I'll look it up. While you do that, um, look, we knew that uh, Booker and and Drew Holiday and, and Middleton were embroiled in the NBA Finals. But I say I say this since they got there, especially Drew Holiday and Devin Booker, it has been a different USA team. We saw that again last night. Booker last night was terrific. And, you know, if Tyler was here, he would give you the numbers and he'd say the same things we're all thinking. If they make shots, they'll beat France. If they don't, they won't. I mean, I know that sounds simplistic, but that's what this team is. They're the best team there. They have the most talent. They have the greatest, I'd argue, the greatest Olympian in Olympic basketball history in Kevin Durant. He's certainly the greatest American Olympian. That's not even close to the all-time uh-huh. leading scorer. Carmelo, but okay. <laughs> Who? Carmelo. <laughs> um, so, you know, Durant's playing, as you'd expect him to be, as the greatest American Olympian. Uh, but, I look... I think they beat France. Uh, Gobert is always an issue. Uh, I hope they beat France, given Popovich said uh, before the games he had studied France like three or four straight years every day, and then you lose that game. Well, hopefully uh, hopefully you've come back and uh, learned how to beat him now. So we'll see that on Friday night. How, do we have a line? We do. Uh, we do have a line. And by the way, this is going to show how much Olympics I've watched in general and how little the bookmakers put behind USA losing to France in the qualifying rounds. Can I guess? Uh, that would be the Americans laying 12 and a half, oh. total 177 and a half. Gosh, I was going to say, once you said that, I said it's more than five, obviously, but I was going to stay at like eight or nine, 12 and a half? That's a big number. Boy, it's, they better win the goal. That's a big number. That's a big number for a team you already lost to in these games and who's been pretty good. Oh, but I got to tell you, I might, you, you, you might uh, on our next break, I might be uh, grabbing a piece of that 12 and a half. We wanted Luca though, didn't we? Of course we wanted Luca. Oh, man. So bummed out by France beating Luca. I wanted Luca so bad against those guys. All right. Well, it's time for the news. We wanted Luca.